We're continuing this morning in our Summer Psalms uh, series, and so if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Psalm 80. We're going to look at Psalm 80 this morning. If you're new to the Bible, if you just let it open, uh, you should flop right down in the middle of Psalms. Uh, it's the center uh, book of the Bible, and so it's, uh, it's the longest 150 chapters. Uh, it's really just, if this were an iPod, this would be the playlist. 150 Psalms. Uh, these would have been the songs of Jesus. These would have been the songs that Jesus sang. Uh, these would have been the songs that people worshipped to as they came from Jericho to Jerusalem called the Songs of Ascent. These would have been the songs that people sang as they walked up to the temple. These would have been the songs they sang in their local synagogue. Uh, these are the songs that Jesus and his family would have sung. And so uh, we're going to spend some time <clears throat> over the next few summers working through key psalms. Now, we've already been through three or four of these, and so we're going to continue to do that. Uh, today's psalm, Psalm 80, uh, it's really a psalm about restoration or revival or renewal, and so we're going to touch on that this morning. Have you ever felt weary? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever felt weary. Every parent should have their hand high. If you have a kid under six, uh, weariness should be, uh, by nine o'clock in the evening, you, this, you should be screaming weary. Weariness is, is, uh, is the, this overwhelming sense of, it's not exhaustion, although that's part of it. It's not just fatigue, although that's part of it. It's, uh, it's an ongoing sense of you never get caught up, right? For those of you with kids, you probably remember the first few months of a new baby, and it's that feeling of if I don't get four or more hours of sleep in a row, something's going something's gonna to get broken, right? Whenever we need renewal or restoration, think about it in a different term. Uh, we restore stuff that's valuable, right? It used to be new, <laughs> right? It used to be nice. Um, you may have heard of restoration in terms of like an old car, uh, or an old motorcycle, or an old piece of furniture, but something that used to be new, that used to be special, that used to be um, significant, but it's now it's just old, and it's worn out, and it needs a fresh touch. Have you ever felt like the new has worn off of you? Anybody <laughs> feel that way? Right. You can go through seasons where you just kind of lose a little pep in your step. Like things just... You just need um, something, you just need a fresh touch when you feel worn out. Then you can experience this personally. Uh, you can experience this in your marriage. You can experience this uh, in a relationship with a significant other. You can experience this in your family with your kids. Uh, you can experience this in your career career fatigue where every day you're just kind of tired of punching the clock uh, and you're going through the motions. Uh, we can experience this as a church, as a body of believers, you can experience uh, fatigue and weariness. You can experience this as a town or a city, as a state, you can experience it as a region, or you can experience it as a nation. And weariness sets in when, you know, several of those um, sort of streams combined, right? Uh, let's just do a quick informal poll, right? You don't have to be too vulnerable, but this is just us. We're just family here. 
How many of you experience personal weariness? Raise your hand. Keep them up. How many of you experience family weariness? Keep them up. How many of you experience marital fatigue? All good husbands throw their hands down immediately. If you experience any of those, keep your hand up. What about um, uh, what about your what about your state or national fatigue? Anybody feel that? Right. I think that you can put them down. I think that we're in a period uh, where culturally, financially, marriage, uh, family, state, politically, nationally, there's just a lot of fatigue. Even spiritually, uh, we see churches on decline. And over the last 20 years, the changes to our church, not this church, but the church, the big church with the big C, those changes have created an incredible strain. Denominations are folding and rupturing and tearing. There is a fight for those who are just trying to hold it together. And even those who are the strongest of denominations are splintering and they're not, they're not increasing. They're really just holding ground. And there's, a, there's leaks everywhere. I think that we can experience this on, on all these different degrees. Personal, family, marriage, parental, uh, church, city, state, region, nation. I think that we are in a, a period where if it's not the last days, it's like the birth pains before. I remember last year uh, just feeling weary and and. You know, when your search engine is filled with things like Florida or <laughs> vacation or you know road trip or you know when your search engines start to fill up with hobbies and recreation and vacation, you know that it's, it's time for a break. And I was kind of in that mode. I I asked a guy, hey, I, I'm looking for a a conference in Tampa or on the Gulf Coast somewhere. Like I was looking for work related. You know, can I angle this conference to a beach somehow and just get some R&R somewhere? And, uh, and in the midst of that, uh, nothing worked out because I was conniving and I was very selfish, you know, and trying to figure out a way until finally a friend called and he said, I took a new job and I paid up my trip to Israel. And so I can't get my refund back. Would you like to take my trip to Israel? And I, you know, yes, all paid for, all true. And it wasn't a vacation, but it was just what I needed. It was the Lord giving me an opportunity to take two weeks on a bumper to bumper, 6 a.m. to midnight, every day, sightseeing and adventure and tour and um, personal time with the Lord and time with people in prayer. It was just the kind of renewal I needed. Listen, the Lord knows just how and the Lord knows just when to restore you. And just to give you the rest that you need. And it may not take the form of an all-expenses-paid vacation, although that's a nice thing. But there are times when, as Matthew 11, Jesus said in Matthew 11, there is a type of rest that only God can give. And in Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. There's a different kind of vacation where you are in the presence of God and in His renewing presence, 
It's better than any vacation you could ever experience. How many of you have ever come back from vacation saying, I need a vacation? Anybody? Hands up. If you've come back more tired, more exhausted, more weary, more, you're unloading the van thinking, oh, I, I should have, I need a trip for my trip. I need a uh, get away. I can't wait to go to work because it's going to be more restful than this. Listen, there's a different kind of rest that I want to impress on you today. And it's found in Psalm 80. And it's built on this idea that the Lord knows just how and just when to restore us. And in order for us to experience that kind of soul satisfying restoration, we have to honor and we have to learn how to go about the Lord's process of renewal. You wouldn't take a car apart to restore it and then just put it back together without some sort of manual, right? You wouldn't try to put something together without some sort of YouTube video if you're not smart. Like you wouldn't try to figure it out on your own if there was directions on how to do it on someone who's done it before. And so Psalm 80 is the recipe for restoration. And let me just point it out to you before. I'm just going to show you where we're going before we get there. Look at verse 3. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Look at verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Look at verse 19. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is a song, a song written by a guy named Asaph about restoration. And so let's read it together and let's break it apart and let's put it back together so that you can be an expert in restoration. Let me pray and then we'll read Psalm 80. Father, we thank you that you are the author and the designer of our soul. You created us. You own us. No one knows us more intimately than you do. You know us more intimately than we know ourselves. Jesus, you said that you know the number of hairs on our heads. None of us know the number of hairs on our heads. I may come closer than anybody in the room, but, but no one here knows that number more than you. You know every thought, every desire. You know the secret things. You know the things that we've never shared with anybody. No one knows us more intimately than you do. No one knows more sin that we've sinned, and yet no one loves us more unconditionally than you do. No one has more affection, more regard, more commitment, more loyalty, more passion for us than you do. You love us deeply, despite the fact that you know everything about us. For that reason alone, you deserve worship. For that reason alone, uh, you deserve 20 minutes for us to listen when you describe how our body needs rest. So I pray that you would speak to our weary souls today. I pray that we would not ignore the remedy for weariness, but that we would follow your directions, that we may experience the rest that you promised, Jesus. Your word says, Come to me, all you who are weary and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord Jesus, let us learn the secret of rest. 
because it has nothing to do with sand, has nothing to do with oceans or mountains or boats or recreation or trips. It has everything to do with you. So it's our prayer that you would restore us and renew us. Do what only you can do in your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 80, let's read it together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If your version is a little different, uh, that's okay. Mine's the ESV. Psalm 80, we'll start with the, uh, with the title, To the Choir Master. This is scripture, by the way. This is Hebrew. This is in the original. These are instructions that your editor didn't add, right? It's in the, the Bible, To the Choir Master, According to the Lilies, probably just a song, a familiar tune. This is the writer giving the choir master instructions. Play it in this key, something like that. Or I don't know anything about music, so out of treble clef is what I would say as a joke, but I don't know anything about music. So he's saying according to the Lilies might be a familiar tune that they're used to. It's a testimony. Uh, It's written by Asaph. Asaph is a contemporary of David. He was delegated the responsibility of writing, and uh, he was the worship leader under David. He wrote a lot of Psalms, Psalm 50, Psalm 70 through 83 are attributed to Asaph. A couple of things about Asaph, I'll just bump in real quickly. According to one commentary, there were a number of Levites that King David assigned as worship leaders in the tabernacle choir. In 1 Chronicles, we won't go into all that. One of these men was Asaph. His duties are described in 1 Chronicles 16. According to 2 Chronicles 29, both David and Asaph were skilled singers and poets and musicians. Uh, he was also mentioned as a seer or a prophet, so God gave him special insight, and he wrote things that saw their fulfillment years later. The songs of Asaph are mentioned throughout Scripture. The sons of Asaph are also mentioned in the Psalms and in Scriptures. They were likely a guild or like a band. That's what their title would have been for decades later, the sons of Asaph. They would have just been a band that kind of continued uh, with different musicians, with Asaph as their master. The church musicians of our day might be considered spiritual children of Asaph. Psalms 50, Psalms 73 through 83 are called the Psalms of Asaph because his name appears in the superscription at the head of those Psalms. Uh, Asaph was particularly interested and is particularly well known. His greatest hit is Psalm 83. It's an imprecatory psalm. What's an imprecatory psalm? Do you remember? It's a psalm of like great emotion. Break their teeth, O Lord. That's kind of one of those prayers that you would never say publicly, but it's one of those prayers that you can get away with in prayer. It's a, it's a prayer of, Lord, you saw what they did. Now let somebody uh, you know, key their car or do something terrible to them, Lord. I would never say that in public, but, but I'm so upset, Lord. Break their teeth. Like This is an imprecatory psalm, and yes, you can pray that way. You can pray that way, but you can't act on that prayer, all right? It's in the Lord's hands, not yours. And through praying your feelings and your great emotions, like we learned last week, uh, you figure out that your emotions can be expressed in prayer to God. Um, Asaph was also interested in God's judgment of Israel's enemies. That's part of imprecatory psalms. We examine the Psalms written by Asaph, we see that all of them have to do with the judgment of God, and many of them involve the prayers of the people 
at a particular moment or a particular event. So let's get some background into what the event might have been. Look at verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. So there's the clue. Did you catch it? Twelve tribes. Three could be described as tribes of Joseph. Who was Joseph? He was the guy that was sold into slavery by his brothers. And Joseph had two sons named Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph didn't get a tribe of his own. He was so powerful that his tribe was broken into two, the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph's favorite brother married, or the son of his favorite, of the favorite mother was Benjamin, right? And so the tribes of Joseph are shorthand for Manasseh, Ephraim, and Benjamin. If you were to look on your map, you've got Israel in the north, You've got the northern tribes that were always defeated first. Then you've got the middle tribes uh, of Manasseh and Ephraim that cover the entire central section, uh, the highway, the part what is known as Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, the eastern side and the western side of the Jordan River, down into Jerusalem. Benjamin, Manasseh, and Ephraim covers central Israel. It is one of the most important parts of the country. And they have done something terrible. We don't know what it is, but they have been taken over. And so there is a sign of judgment on these three. They have been invaded. You can tell that because from verses 8 to 15, Asaph goes into a, um, a soliloquy about this portion being a vine brought out of Egypt. The nations were driven out and this vine was planted. The ground was cleared for it. It took a deep root. It filled the land. The mountains were covered by the shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. And it sends out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. And it continues in verse 12. Why have you broken down this vine and its walls so that everyone who comes along plucks its fruit, the boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. This is the situation of central Israel. There's a group that you know from your Bible called the Philistines. And they uh, invaded an area on the southwestern coast of the Mediterranean. Right? Um, and they knew how to make weapons out of iron when everybody else was using bronze. Now imagine if you had a bronze sword, you ran up to swing at a dude who was holding an iron sword, and your bronze sword collided with his bronze sword. Who wins in bronze versus iron? Iron every day, all day, right? Your money's on that. So the first Israelite to take a swing at a Philistine with an iron sword learned quickly as his sword buckled and wrapped around that you know thing three times, he probably just said, oh no, right? And he took off running backward. But the problem was Philistia settled an area where there was no iron. The only way to get iron was to travel up and through the central parts of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Benjamin. And so they would raid and set out outposts far away where they could dig and get iron and they could have sort of holding places in all this land, right? 
It's interesting to me, maybe not to you, maybe kind of boring to you, but I think it's interesting that this is a settlement way down here, and yet all the battles they fought were way up here in the Iron Mountains, and it gives you insight into that. So why is Manasseh, Ephraim, and Benjamin struggling? Because they've been trampled on by centuries of people raiding that central territory. And so now they're crying out. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 3. This is Manasseh, this is Ephraim, this is Benjamin, the tribes of Joseph, saying, Stir up your might, Lord, and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved. O God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors. All of our enemies laugh among themselves at us. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Skip down to verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 14. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine you planted, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand. In Israel, in Hebrew, that's Benjamin. Ben meaning son of Yamin, meaning my right hand. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. What does this mean? We have the context. They've been invaded. They've been trampled on. They're weary. They're exhausted. You, you might feel like that today. You might feel trampled on. You might feel like uh, finances, family, career, um, strains with life have just beat you down to the point where you feel like this. You feel trampled. You feel beaten down. You feel weary. You feel tired. You're struggling. And although you might be uh, experiencing the raiding of a foreign army, man, it sure feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Doesn't our culture feel like it's being raided by aliens? Or what's happened, right? Something weird. It's just, everything is going crazy. How can we find rest and peace and restoration? I can promise you, you won't find it in Washington in November, right? I can promise you that. Our hopes are built on nothing less than the White House and the Congress and, right? That's what the song said. No, like if everything goes wrong, our hopes are built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. How do we experience restoration in the midst of trampling? How do we experience this renewal in our spirit? Four things that we see right here. Number one, we see a rising crescendo of prayer. You probably noticed it right away. Look at verse one. A rising crescendo of prayer. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead us, you who sit enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Don't you pray like that, right? When you sit down at dinner, don't you start with, 
Oh, you who sit in... Right? This is not typical language. This is lofty prayer language. Look at the crescendo in verse 3. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Look at verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. What's different? The title is getting more magnificent. O shepherd, O the one enthroned upon the cherubim, O God, O God of hosts, O Lord, uh, God of hosts in verse 14. Look down from heaven. Look at verse 19. Now it's the full title, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. You can see the progression. This is a rising crescendo of prayer. Look at the content of prayer language in this. You don't have to read it every verse, but it says a cry for help, the titles of God, a cry for restoration, a prayer for presence, the shorthand, what sits, what dwells between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. That's the mercy seat, the place where God's only presence dwells. The face describes the uh, the one, uh, the the. the uh, blessing of the priest, the high priest that would say, turn and let your face shine upon us. A prayer for God's presence, a reminder of all that God has done in the past, his righteousness and justice against his enemies, the imprecatory Psalms, look what they have done. It's a prayer for God that he would notice his people, notice his nation, notice his children being destroyed by foreign invaders. The first thing we see is a rising crescendo of prayer. If you want to experience peace, it's not by being prayerless. It's not by being prayerless. You will never experience genuine rest if you are prayerless. Ever. Never. You can, you can sit on a beach for a hundred days. You can eat the right pizza and have the right experiences and go on the right rides and go to the right place. And you can do all those things and your soul can still be in torment. You can be in the midst of the war zone in seeking God in prayer and, and experience tremendous rest. That's truth. That's truth. Don't be deceived that the right environment is what you need for rest. A rising crescendo of prayer is the key to restoration. Second, Seek His presence above all. Seek His presence above all. The language for presence with a capital P is without mistake here. Shine. Let your face. Enthroned between the cherubim. All these things. Let your face shine. All that language is shorthand for your presence. Shorthand for your presence. Look down from heaven, uh, from heaven and see. Have regard for the vine that you planted. All these things demonstrate His presence. Rising crescendo of prayer. Seek His presence. Third thing, repentance. Look at verse 18. Then we shall not turn back from you. There is language that they might have turned away. And who of us doesn't know the tug away from God's presence? Right? The one thing we know we should do is be in His presence daily. It's the one thing that the enemy wants to pull us away from is His presence daily. And repentance is simply that turning and saying, oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I sought satisfaction in this. 
I've sought satisfaction in that, and I, I've strayed from your presence. And that is the most heartfelt cry of repentance that leads you to the rest that is found in his presence. The fourth thing, I love how the psalm so beautifully hints at the future redemption in Christ. The ultimate rest. The ultimate rest is in the finished work of Christ. That Christ would labor, that he would struggle, that he would sweat, that he would uh, be beaten, that he would struggle, that he would fight, that he would remain sinless, that he would battle temptation beyond what any of us could ever battle temptation. The fact that Jesus would labor so that as Hebrews describe, we could enter rest. You want to know rest, read Hebrews, and it all points back to the work of Christ on the cross. And look at what Psalm 80 points forward to. He talks about the vine. He talks about the vine that God planted. What does that remind you of? John 15, right? When Jesus says, I am, I am the vine and you are the branches What does he say? If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. In me, a man will find life. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Dwell on John 15 verses 1 through 5. That whole passage is is pointed to right here. When Jesus says, I am the vine, he's pointing to centuries of prophecy that describes rest. Charles preached through Jonah. When Jonah needed rest from the blazing sun, what did God provide? A vine. Right? A vine. The vine is the rest. And Jesus says in John 15, I'm the vine. Look at the other language about the sun in uh, Psalm 80. Verse 15. The stock that your right hand has planted, that's the seed that your hand has planted. The son whom you made strong for yourself. Now this would have been understood in context to be Israel. But this is God's son foreshadowed. To be sure, look at verse 17. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand. Who sits at the right hand of the father? Right? Jesus, right? The Son of Man. Who takes the title Son of Man and makes it well known? Ezekiel. You read Ezekiel and the title of the Messiah that's coming is the Son of Man. When Jesus comes, what does He call Himself? The Son of Man. Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see how wonderful the threads of Scripture weave together to form a cohesive unit? and, a, and a, a true picture? Who is the one who brings true restoration ultimately? Who is the one who gives us true rest ultimately? Who is the true vine and the true son and the true redeemer? It's redemption in the son. And so we go back to Matthew 11. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Do you feel weary today? Are you exhausted? Are you tired? Is your marriage in strain? Is your family in strain? Is your career in strain? Is your culture experiencing strain? Do you need rest? Rest is in Christ. 
and we can experience true rest apart from circumstances. The temptation is, put me in a different environment with the right people, with the right substance, with the right experience. All these, if you just put me there, I can, I can get rest, I promise you. But listen, God knows that your soul needs one thing only. To be immersed like a sponge that's dry in the water of His presence. And when you stick a sponge in water and squeeze it, it, it sucks up all the water. You can pull it out and water will drip out, but it's still immersed in that water. You can squeeze it and more water comes out. This is what your soul needs. And it can be experienced through a rising crescendo of prayer, through your seeking His presence above everything, Psalm 42, as a deer pants for water, so what? My soul pants for you. You get there through repentance and ultimately in the redemption in Christ. Father, we thank you that no one knows us better than you. We thank you that you know soul fatigue. No one was more exhausted than you. No one knew fatigue like you. Not only did you experience physical fatigue, not only did you experience physical strain as a result of beatings and torture and the cross, you knew spiritual strain and spiritual stress. No one knows the full weight of temptation because we always give in to temptation. But only you endured temptation through that you never gave in to it. And so when you say, come to me, all you who are weary, let us trust that in your presence there is fullness of joy. Let us trust that in your presence alone, through the redemption of Jesus Christ, you offer true rest. Oh Lord, we're weary. And we won't find rest until our souls find rest in you. I pray that we would immerse ourselves in your presence. And that through that, we would find rest for our weary souls. And then would you allow us to turn people and show them like a beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Help us to point people to the place of ultimate rest. In Jesus Christ. Lord, fulfill us and renew us and restore us and revive your people again. In Jesus' name, amen.